0: I thought that was really interesting. I had not even thought about that before, but that's when I started to realize that there was this whole online market, remote working type of uh, business that I could have a greater reach and, and make a deeper impact with individuals beyond my local environment, beyond like the San Francisco Bay Area and Silicon Valley. And that's when I started to transition and expand my business. I still have corporate clients where I do CFO consulting type of work for them here. I get to choose just a few, my, my favorite clients that I continue to work with. But my main focus now is to work with those corporate professionals who are still in their nine to five, feeling overworked, feeling like they're stretched too thin, my version of who I was 10 years ago.
1: Welcome to the Digital Nomad Cafe podcast, the show where we discuss what it takes to create a sustainable long-term online business in today's fast-moving environment. We talk with industry experts and freelancers alike to find out what it takes to build and manage a location-independent business. Hello, welcome back. If this is your first time joining, then welcome. This podcast is for digital entrepreneurs carving out their slice of the online economy. To download my free guide on starting a business online, head over to digitalnomadcafe.com forward slash start or click in the link in the show notes or description. Today's guest is Veronica Satasumi, and she comes from an experienced background working in corporate America, specifically working with startups in Silicon Valley. So she's very experienced professional, and she was working as a CFO, so a chief financial officer and uh, working in the accounting and finance game for a lot of these startups. And she transitioned then out to running her own business and then started a business helping other professionals who were in the accounting space to transition from corporate to running their own business. It's a really interesting episode. We had a lot of fun. We talked about how to get business on LinkedIn. We talked about um, you know, the starting a side hustle while working in your job and how to think about that and reframe it in your mind. And we also talked about know why it's so important to um, test a minimum viable product um, and have an offer that converts as well as nurturing your network before you head off and start your own business. This was really fun. Make sure to leave us a review, subscribe, and um, tag us on Instagram. Hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Digital Nomad Cafe podcast. Today's guest is Veronica Sagastumi and she helps accountant professionals monetize their experience and start their own consulting business online. Veronica, welcome to the show. Hi, Adam. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast today. Thanks for joining us. So your niche is to help people to monetize their experience by getting started in consulting. So how did you get started in this yourself?
0: You know, like most people, I think that it's, I am a version of my client now because my background was all in corporate America as an accounting and finance executive. So I spent 20 years here in the Silicon Valley and San Francisco Bay Area Going up that corporate ladder, I went that traditional route of getting my degree in accounting and finance, working in corporate America, and I selected a niche right away in terms of working with startup companies, especially since I was in the Silicon Valley. And even though I wasn't an entrepreneur back then, I think that working with those startup companies, I definitely got that startup uh, gene and vibe and environment through, through working with those types of companies.
1: For sure. Exciting. But I imagine it's um, probably a difficult one, too, to manage when you're a startup because you're wanting to spend money left, right and center and you really have to mind your money. You know, it's
0: absolutely right. It was an exciting time and it was also the most stressed out, overworked, overwhelmed and also happy and just like. Like I said, full of excitement because it was all very new, especially like I'm going to date myself a little bit here, but in the mid to late nineties, being in the Silicon Valley, we were amongst all of those startups with like Google and eBay, PayPal. It's just so many of those that, you know, it was just a lot of people working in smaller companies and starting to go that route of startup money and then going public and growing, you just go through, it's a great university, you know, it's like the life experience, hands-on uh, university that you you get exposed to.
1: For sure. And I mean, that's real high level um, professional accounting as well, you know, so, so I guess when did you decide that you didn't want to do that anymore? Because I mean, that does sound, while it's cool and great on your CV, it sounds like it will be super stressful and quite demanding on your time and require a lot of your you know, presence, let's say in office and things like that. So,
0: exactly, exactly. As I went up that corporate ladder, as always being a very ambitious, I've always been very ambitious, even though I consider myself an introvert when it comes to business or my career, always very ambitious. And so, climbing the corporate ladder came with higher positions. Definitely the benefits and the perks and the compensation that come along with that, especially working with startups, you know, you get exposed to all of those things that you like, like you hear about the shares and stock options and a lot of other things. But that pace and that level of stress is not sustainable long term. And so there came a point in my career where I had a very Exciting job, and I had my corporate corner office with a team that I love to work with, and all the perks that came with it. But like many people, when they they there comes a point where there's a fork in the road, if you will, or a life event occurs in my case, my grandmother, who at the time was in her early nineties, broke her ankle, and to me. My grandmother was my original life coach. She's the one that raised me and taught me so much about the person that I am today. And so I thought, you know, I need to be there for her. I need to be part of that physical therapy that she needs to be uh, having regularly. And she had to go to a facility where they, she would be getting that physical therapy. But I wanted to be part of that caretaking of her, especially since she had given so much to me. This was an opportunity for me to give back to this person that was so important in my life. But I found myself resenting having to ask for the time off and explaining where I was going to be. At that time, I was a chief operating officer at a financial services company. And it required, like you were just saying, Adam, it required me to be very present and to be attending meetings and spearheading projects. And what was happening is I wasn't showing up as the best version of myself for anybody. For sure. Yeah, not for my team, not for my grandmother, not for myself, let alone my home life. It was just, I was spread too thin.
1: Sometimes I know it's horrible when you hear something like that, like some like a serious life event really puts things in perspective fairly lively. You know, it's like, okay, this is great, and I worked really hard to be here, but then you know somebody gets sick who you love, and you're like, my my own thing is like, I don't care about the work right now. I care about looking after this person who I love, and the work, whatever about the love, and that's where I think there's a real big thing. Like that's where when you're an employee of a business versus having a business you're kind of caught in that rut, aren't you? In that if you don't work, then you don't get paid, but you might get fired because you're not showing up. But on the flip side, if you have a business that runs without you, which is an ideal scenario of a business, things could tick along. So, So yeah, what happened next? Like, well, this is intriguing. What happened?
0: <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I feel very fortunate that I had one of those breakdowns that led to my breakthrough. One day, I missed a very important meeting at work. I was late to a very important meeting meeting for my grandmother's caretaking with her doctors and medication and all of those things that come with it. And by the time I got home very, very late and pulled up to my driveway, I had nothing. I was going to walk in once again as the worst version of myself because there was no energy. There was no upside. I was feeling completely depleted of everything. And so I just kind of sat in my car at that point and thought, I can't keep this up. You know, I have to make a decision and I don't want to have the regret that I chose work over my grandmother. And at that point, I just kind of thought not wanting to have that regret led me to make the decision that it was time for me, just like I had helped all of these different startup companies to grow and get to the next level and achieve great success. I kept thinking, why can't I do that for myself? And I started to reframe that question just sitting there in my car saying, Well, why can't I do that for myself? Well, I could do that for myself. I'm going to do that for myself. And it's just, it took, I make it sound like so easy, but it was just a lot of like fear, you know, fear of losing that compensation, the title, the staff, the team, but also fear of losing my grandmother and having her think that I chose work over her. And I just could not do that. I made the decision to leave my corporate job, which let me tell you, Adam, a lot of people had opinions about that. Once I once I did re- leave and resign, I didn't ask anybody's permission. I just made the decision to transition from an employee to start my own consulting business because I felt that at that time I had made enough uh, connections and I had a great reputation that I could just let people, and we can talk about steps that I took, but from the time that I made the decision to leave to the time when I actually did leave, it took about six months. But just by making that decision. And knowing what my action steps were gonna be, it changed my mindset. It changed my energy. And I started to show up differently for everybody just by making the decision, even though I still had the same workload and deadlines between the time that I decided, made a decision and the time that I left. But it allowed me to show up differently.
1: For sure. Like you're saying there, you weren't feeling it anymore. You know, like it, it just what well, you knew it wasn't the right thing for you. And yes, you could have kept doing it, but there's a lot, um, I think it's called was it the opportunity cost fallacy or something where like you've put so much time and energy into something that it feels like such a big deal. I mean, it happens with people with relationships. It happens with projects. People start businesses, put loads of time, energy and money into them and they don't work out but they keep trying this bloody thing even though they know it's not working and it's all to do with this uh, sunk cost fallacy you know so I'm not saying that you had that but like you'd worked so hard for this career and for this position and for for everything else and it's it's like that thing you know you work you work you work you get there and then you look around and you're like ah I feel the same <laughs> I don't know if this is for me like so was I was that kind
0: of like was I supposed to hear some music or you know
1: <laughs> well that's the thing isn't it you know it's like it's a journey you know it's about enjoying the ride along the way and like you know you Ultimately, it comes down to priorities for you. Like, you know, where's my priority? My priority is is my family and my grandmother, who I love very much. I was very close to my nanny. So I completely get what you you mean by that. You know, I remember flying home from Spain when she was sick to see her. So like, I get it. And like you mentioned, other people having their opinions, but I mean, like couldn't care less personally about other people's opinions myself. But sometimes it can be hard, especially if you've worked close with people or you've seeked people's approval as happens in, in corporate situations. You know, you have to, you know, if you're roughing everybody up the wrong way, you're not going to climb up that ladder, you know? So um, there has to be an element of likability to your character as well as your your skills. So, so yeah. So when you went out, I mean, it sounds like you were, you know, very experienced at your job. So when it came to, you know, going out and getting clients and getting started with your own business, how did you approach it? Because I see now like you coach people who were in what you were in, you know, to, to start their own business. So are you now doing accounting for people or are you helping accountants to start your own consultant business?
0: So the original business that I started 10 years ago was the consulting business. And that's when I didn't want to throw away all that experience that I had gained. And I took all that experience to start my chief financial officer type of experience. And still my niche at that time, 10 years ago, was to work with startup companies, but I was no longer going to work with them as their employee. I would work with them as their consultant for very specific projects or to have a very specific role with a start and end date. Now that led to, uh, you'll hear this, I know you hear this a lot, Adam, in your in your podcast when you interview your other guests, is that a lot of us who work as a consultant or freelancers we get to that point where we cap out with the hours.
1: I recorded a podcast a couple of hours ago, and this was the exact scenario. It's like, there comes a point where you, you, know, you can raise your rates so high, but yeah, you either cap out at hours or you build a team.
0: Exactly. Or you build an agency. At the end of 2015 is when I started to realize I'm going down the route of building an agency, and I didn't want to do that. And at that time, I attended a conference in Vegas where I saw a speaker who had a very similar background to mine, where she had done the accounting and finance employee and then became a consultant. And then what she was doing at that time was coaching individuals to start their own business. I thought that was really interesting. I had not even thought about that before, but that's when I started to realize that there was this whole online market, remote working type of uh, business that I could have a greater reach and, and make a deeper impact with individuals beyond my local environment beyond like the San Francisco Bay Area and Silicon Valley and that's when I started to transition and expand my business I still have corporate clients where I do CFO consulting type of work for them here I get to choose just a few my my favorite clients that I continue to work with but my main focus now is to work with those corporate professionals who are still in their 9 to 5 feeling overworked feeling like they're stretched too thin my version of who I was 10 years ago and kind of focusing on letting them know what is the opportunity available to them, how they can take that, all all that experience that they have gained, that they have been working towards climbing up that corporate ladder themselves, how they can take that and start their own consulting business. And you always start with that one-on-one. And then I teach them also how to go beyond the one-on-one to be able to scale it and not work themselves when, you know, when we all consultants reach that capping the hours that you're trading for dollars.
1: For sure. I mean, it's a different mindset, you know. And I'm not slamming freelancers like rock on. It's a great way to get started with, with making money online. And like we're saying, to transition out of like, you maybe you're working in a job somewhere, you don't like it. You know, one of the best and quickest ways to get started online is to transfer, you know, into a service business, which the difference is it gives you the freedom. You know what I mean? Like, you can live you know, you can be there in San Francisco, you can head off to Costa Rica, you can be in Ireland, you can be in Spain. It doesn't matter. The point is, it's online and it it gives you that freedom of location. But like you mentioned there, I really like the word, you know, impact. Like you're able to impact and help a lot more people while still maintaining, like you're saying, the select clients, you hand pick people. You know, you don't work in a place where you're throwing clients and you're told you have to work with these people even if you do or don't like them. <laughs> so funny. It's like, I have worked the Shopify. I know that when you're dealing with a CFO, they're one of the hardest people to deal with because they're tough nuts. (laughs) They're like like tough. It's like, you you know you've got a call with the CFO of a multi-million euro um, or multi-million dollar e-commerce company. You know that's a tough conversation. (laughs) It's like, without a shadow of a doubt, like CFOs, you're nearly like, oh, here it goes. You know this is going to be a tough one. So take a deep breath because they're looking for every half of a percent, a quarter of a percent, like, but rightfully so. Like if you're doing like if a business is doing 30 million a year and you're charging them 0.1% of something for some fee, they're like, why is this? Can we negotiate that? And that is their job. Ultimately, it's like, okay, well, you know, because when you're talking about startups, e commerce is probably where I would have the most experience in dealing with like high like uh, revenue um, and dealing with uh, CFOs. And it's always down to like, there's so many moving parts and there's so many little things taking its cut. You know, you have your, your payment fee, your transaction fee, your platform fee, your this fee, your ev- everything's taking its little bit out of your sale price, you know? and um, Oh my
0: goodness. My favorite, my favorite question that I get is like, how do we get rid of these merchant fees for the credit card processing?
1: You don't, you just got to negotiate. You, you don't get rid of them. But if you're doing enough volume, you can potentially negotiate down a little bit. But you need to be kind of doing like a couple of million, to be honest. You know what I mean? So what you're talking about, too, is funny because like my accountant, who I love, his name is Martin Brennan. And Martin is awesome. And Martin is is moving into this kind of online consulting phase as well. You know, and, and it's like we speak a lot. He's really knowledgeable and really good at what he does. And he started doing YouTube videos and putting things up on LinkedIn. And and it's just like, you know, his market is Ireland, which is obviously a very different market. The tax in America, gives me headaches. I do not understand how you do it. Every state has its own sales tax, nexus, different, right? Oh my good God. Like you think EU VAT is bad. Ireland's pretty straightforward. It's twenty-three percent on everything. You know what I mean? So it's like that that's Ireland's fairly black and white. But there's a massive advantage to having good financial advice. And like even as as speaking with Martin, he's like, I don't need to be your accountant. I can just be your consultant. You can account with somebody else and you can have a different bootkeeper. But the difference is when you have a good consultant who's like, okay, this is what's happening. You're gonna end up paying a load of tax if you don't do something here. Like people giving you that advice. In advance is massive. Like it's so important. Like I, I got stung with revenue in Ireland where I had a bad accountant and it didn't do things right. And I got a massive bill and then he flipped it around. He was ma- like, it's mental. I went from owing loads of money to getting money back. That's the difference between a good accountant and a bad accountant. And, and Adam, unfortunately, you,
0: you learned the hard way, the value of paying for that premium price for a consultant that you can trust and you feel like you're so well taken care of.
1: Yeah, it's the proactive advice. I absolutely love. Like it's like that was the big game changer for me and and it's why like I I love what he's doing now and he's moving. It's exactly what you're talking about like your ideal clients coming from these backgrounds. Who, who are specialists, who know the nuances of the ins and outs of, of the tax regulations and laws, what you can claim, what you can't claim, what how to basically pay less tax. That's a, what a good accountant helps you to do is give as mu- little to the government as you can and keep as much in the business as possible. In my own personal small experience, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's what I think is like, you know, the key of what you're trying to do. You know, that's why a lot of these big companies just report losses year after year after year. They don't pay any tax. Yeah, I mean, you would definitely see that in Silicon Valley. So, like, if somebody is trying to transition out, so like, you know, let, let's talk a little bit about that, you know, because accounting is kind of a traditional, because one of my partner's uh, friends is going to college to be an accountant. And it it still feels very traditional in the thinking. You know, it's like you have to go into an office and you have to learn how to use Excel and you have to learn, you know, how to use zero And it's very... I don't know it feels to me like it's still one of these like slow to evolve to the online. So if somebody was listening to this and they're looking to get in, into it like what what be kind of your advice like for for starting out.
0: Well, I think that the when we're recording this podcast during the pandemic, we're still in the midst of, you know, the COVID-19 crisis and how right now more than ever people have realized they can truly work from home because most employees were sent home to to work remotely. So now they've gotten a taste of what it's like, what tools to use, what it's like to work from home, set up an office, and what it's like to use the tools to truly work remotely in order to then stay in contact and track their work or be able to share the work, submit their work, whatever it is. And so this is where I feel like the conversations have changed and have been easier lately because people have gotten a taste of, oh, I can actually truly work from home. I, because you become more resourceful. You can find ways to use the tools, the same tools that you would use in your office space. You can work from your remote you know, office, home office, and still be productive and deliver, meet deadlines, submit the work. Now more than ever, Adam, you know me. Look where you're calling me from, where we're having this conversation. I'm in the Bay Area in California. You're in Ireland. And it, we might as well be in the same room because our conversation is just as good if we were sharing a cup of coffee, which I would love that just as much. <laughs> and so that it's a mindset of like people thought that they needed to go into the office in order to do their job. But now I would challenge people to think, if you're able to do that for your employer, could you do that for yourself, for your own business and deliver that service for a client? The answer to that is
1: absolutely yes. Yes. Absolutely, yes, and and I do agree that a lot of businesses and and people who would have thought, you know, maybe they couldn't work from home or their business wouldn't work from home, like COVID rattled that cage like nobody would believe, you know. Now it's like, of course, you could be an accountant from home. Jesus, like all you need is laptop, and I mean, I'm sure there's like there's certain softwares I know there's lots of different ones could be NetSuite it could be like zero I mean depends on the business and what the business does you know so and Avalara is a big one for um, sales tax for e-commerce stars you know what I mean so like there's there's tons of different tools but like you're saying they're all online now so it doesn't necessarily matter so do you still need to be qualified you know like do you still need that college education or is there like online courses that suffice nowadays like okay you know Maybe that's a silly question. But. To, to be an accountant or to become a consultant? Well, not to do what you're doing because you've got 20 years in-house experience, but like, let's say to, to be a consultant. I think to,
0: to be the kind of consultant that I focus on working with, you have to have some experience. You can't just come straight out of school. And, and start consulting, uh, because you don't really have that depth of knowledge yet of how to do certain things. You still need to have a little bit of that mentorship or guidance that comes with the workspace in the, in the workspace through an employer. The, the experience, at least I like to see people who have had at least five to seven years of experience, even if they don't have the degree, if they have that experience, they know what it's like to work under deadlines. They know what it's like to have to go through the cycles of the business, whether it's Closing the books, generating financial statements, uh, dealing with software conversions, uh, integrating a system. There are so many things that go on in the accounting. And any, what we're talking about can actually ap- apply to any corporate profession in, in corporate America that needs to have some experience once they feel confident enough that they have mastered some skill. Whether it's the transactional side of accounting or transactional side of a really high volume customer service reps or, you know, software development, anything where you have gained skills. Now you can start thinking about how can I create a service offer? that would benefit someone else who needs this kind of work. And that is where the mindset shift starts to take place because you need to think about what it is that you know, what it is that you love, what it is that you would like to do more of so that you don't create a side business or full-time business for yourself that resembles your job because you might as well just stay at your job if that's going to be the case.
1: For sure, yeah. Be careful what you wish for, because you might just get it. Uh, I believe I've learned that one a couple of times. I seem to; it's a repeatable mistake for me, and I'm still working on it. Because it's like that, oh, I want loads of clients. Like then you get loads of clients. You're like, oh, I hate having loads of clients. Um, I want loads of clients. You know, then you're like, okay, I need to reframe that. It's like I want loads of clients who are low touch and who pay high. The law of attraction hard at work for you, Adam. Man, I'm telling you, there's there's been some serendipity in my life that I cannot explain, and it goes it goes up to a higher power. I can tell you that. Um, what that is, I don't know, uh, but it's ugh, don't even begin. I, there's been so many weird things, but no, but truth, like like you're saying there, you know, be careful because like you mentioned side business there. So I I would imagine, I mean, guessing, like if you were coaching somebody or mentoring somebody to transition, would you suggest that they you know, keep their job and they transition out, you know, like slowly, like get a client, get two clients and then, you know, start to have some income coming in. They don't just like, you know, throw the towel in, throw it all up in the air and go, I'm going to be a consultant. You know exactly,
0: I actually walk them i I have like five different things that I ask them to think about first i I ask them to reframe how they 're thinking about their employer because a lot of times when corporate and a corporate employee is ready to start thinking or take action on starting their own thing, even if it 's a side gig. It's because either they're bored with what they're doing or they're not feeling like they're making uh, progress or advancing their career fast enough, or they're really unhappy in their workplace. So one of the first things that I ask them to do is, listen, you're not going to just quit today, Think of your employer as your angel investor. And that's the Silicon Valley girl in me. You know, I just gonna say, you're going to get paid while you're pursuing to uh, do your research, to think about your business, to nurture your network. So think of your employer as that initial investor in your business. So that is your paycheck, you know, that reframing that allows people to start thinking and showing up a little differently. The second thing I ask them to prepare for is start to inventory your skills as well as your contacts, your professional contacts, because we know how to do a lot of things. We sometimes forget. So that's why I ask people to inventory their skills, their experience, their knowledge, so that they can see, my gosh, I know how to do a lot of things. Now, the next thing to that is, what do I love to do? Because you want to create a a consulting business or a freelance business based on things that you absolutely love to do and that you're really good at doing you don 't have to do all things just because you know how to do a lot of things doesn 't mean you, you should do all of them,
1: yeah some of them you, you might be good at it, but you might you know not necessarily like doing it, you know so exactly
0: exactly, and the inventorying of your contacts is really important because that is going to lead into another part that I asked them to do, which is. While you're still at your job and thinking about developing your consulting business, you want to start to nurture your contacts. And there's an absolute way to do that without having to burn bridges or feel annoying your your network. It's about inventory your contacts so that you can then select who are your professional contacts that know you, that have worked with you, that you've known really well, or that can speak to your work ethic, your personality, your traits, so that when you reach out to them, it doesn't seem so like... Um, cold out of context. Yeah, cold exactly. Um, and then I start to ask them to think about what's a simple offer that they can deliver that's simple that can get um their their whoever they work with that can get them a very fast result a win because that not only allows people to feel good about the service that you're going to deliver but it allows you as the service provider to gain that confidence and to start to see that it is possible for you to have and make an offer, deliver the service, get paid. And that is social proof. Social proof is huge for you to be able to get more business, but also to gain confidence so that you can then do it again. Once you've done it once, you now have a repeatable process. And when you have a repeatable process, you can scale it. So that's why I say, you know, start slow on the side.
1: Of course. Yeah. And uh, a big thing that you alluded to there towards the end was like an offer that converts because that's You know, that's very important too. Like it's all well and good, you know, having all these ideas like, oh, actually, I think of this really out of the box thing that people want. It's like, no, nobody wants it. That's why it's not out there. It's like, you know, you just need to have a different spin on what people want. So, you know, that's knowing your market and, um, you know, having an offer that converts. And like you're saying, that gives you that confidence. You know, then you'll have, you know, the the confidence to pursue it. And hopefully, um, like you're mentioning a lot to do with networking and, and social proof. I'm curious, like, is LinkedIn a big part of the strategy?
0: It is for me. And I do encourage others to start showing up on LinkedIn even more. Because if you're in the professional services, LinkedIn is where your people are going to be. I mean, it does take some research for you to test that. But a lot of your contacts that you met through work, through your employers, at network events, workshops, while you were an employee, they're all mostly going to be in LinkedIn. And if they're not, you should start to reach out and connect with them there. So absolutely, there's a, a whole social media strategy that I have of using LinkedIn in order for you to stay connected, start showing up, sharing content. You don't even need to create your own content, but you have to be active and you have to show up so that you're top of mind. So when you do make that offer to one of your contacts in your network, it's not so out of the blue. Again, using your word, Adam, it's not cold. It is a warm audience that you are going to be sort of making your offer to. I was just going to mention, I want to talk about the money aspect of preparing (laughs) to start your side gig. So many people think they can just quit their job and start a business. You have to have cash reserves. And the whole thing of like, you know, remember I, I alluded to think of your employer as your angel investor while you prepare to start your business, even if you started part time, save money because you have to have a cash reserve, not only to cover your expenses when you do decide to leave in 100% pursue your business. You have to have that cash reserve to fund your business. You cannot start a business on free or on zero. You are going to need money to pay your own personal bills as well as to pay the bills to run and grow your business. So save your money, build a cash reserve so that it gives you peace of mind and it allows you to show up for your clients. And it allows you to run your business without having to worry and be in panic mode and feel desperate. That's when you make bad decisions and you end up getting clients that you don't love.
1: Oh, been there, done that. That's the worst place to be is, is in, in needy stage, you know, when you, when you need work and you need it now. And that's when having like it's it's a horrible place to be because like you're saying, you, you'll take on work you don't want, you'll take on work you'd otherwise avoid. And, you know, your ideal client kind of can go out the window uh, when you're in that situation. Thankfully, it was years ago when I was there, but I I do remember what it felt like, you know, and, and it was it was not a nice place to be in. And um, then you end up kind of frustrated with it all because you're doing stuff you don't really want to be doing. It's not aligned with your bigger goal. And it's like, oh, you, you know, it can be a frustrating place. So Adam, so... I just wanted to ask you, what did you do to prepare for that the next
0: time for not not having yourself in that position of running out of cash or, you know, having to take on clients that you did not want?
1: Well, first of all, got more clear on who the ideal clients are. And secondly, just better forecasting because where I went, like, you know, I've built two separate six figure online businesses, one for SEO and one for web design. And when I initially done one of them, like I was last to get paid, like, You know what I mean? It's all the freelancers get paid and all the software gets paid. You don't want to pay the software to cut you off. So it was like, ultimately, I was the last to get paid. So like now I've just, I mean, to be honest with you, better planning and forecasting ahead. Better understanding of like, scoping a project out before you take it on. You know what I mean? Like having repeatable systems and businesses, like really getting into SOPs and like standard operating procedures and like here's how long it takes. And that way, like to be fair, I mean, I've had freelancers take me for a ride maybe at some point, you know, things taking, building here for 20 hours. You're like, dude, that could have been done in two. All this sort of stuff. And and that's where it's kind of painful because you have to like go through it. Like you don't have to learn that painful lesson, but like you have to go through like if if you're wanting to like let's say like building a website, it's a fairly repeatable thing, you know what I mean like like ninety percent of it's quite repeatable it's it's you know pages it's call to actions it's downloadables it's whatever like it's it's all these same things over and over again, so you can make checklists for it, you know, and that's just kind of where I learned my lesson I think is um really do your best to forecast and um, the softwares that you need is a big one, any coaching that you need um mentorship um ads like. You know what I mean? Like like if I'm doing a website and if, if let's say a website is like a small local business, 2000 thousand euro, right? So it's about $2,000. It's roughly the same now. Like, you know, how much am I willing to spend on ads? So like, what's the lifetime value of that customer? Are they on a monthly recurring after? So like typically you'd have a maintenance package for like, I don't know, 50 or a hundred quid afterwards. So it's two grand up front, 50 quid after per month. And then I mean, like ideally they're going to stay with you forever. You know what I mean? Like there's not really, there's not really a cutoff point unless they go out of business. And, you know, I've never had somebody leave me to go to somebody else because they want somebody else who managed their website that I've already built for them. Like it just doesn't happen. Yeah. So, so it's kind of like, like I think all those things um, really helped. The recurrent, that was another big one there too, actually was initially I used to do one and done, which is like, I build you something, you pay me, off you go. And you're done. Yeah. Never again.
0: (laughs) Well, recurring revenue is the is the the ultimate goal, right? That recurring revenue.
1: Yeah, that's. I mean, if if it can be done, like it can't. It doesn't apply to every business, like you know. But even if you have people, like you know, it's trying to get them, like onto online payments, a, a big, a huge pain. I had actually one of the biggest was. Um, chasing invoices, chasing money. I mean, as a CFO, I'm sure you know all about this, chasing people who owe you money and people chasing you because you owe people money. But it's not fun when you're a freelancer or a business owner, because like like I'm saying, you might have had, I don't know, let's say 5,000 outgoing into freelancers and you're owed 20 grand, let's say for website bills. And another month goes past and you would another five grand go out to freelancers. And now you're like, I ain't got jack left. And if I don't get paid these invoices, I mean, I'm in trouble the business is done. Business is done. You know what it's like? I can't keep paying five grand a month for freelancers to keep all these projects going. So I think those were the sore lessons for me. Sorry, a bit of a rant, sore spot. Um, No,
0: it's okay. It's a, it's a learning curve for other people. We're sharing our lessons learned because they, other people may look at them as mistakes. They're not mistakes. They are learning lessons. And when you know better, you do better.
1: Yeah, that's kind of my, that's my two cents on it all. And I, I definitely agree that you don't have to learn the painful way. <laughs> if you, you know, if, if you can avoid it through listening to things like this and trying to avoid it, but, but yeah, just getting better at forecasting. I mean, accounting is something people put off and they ignore it and they're like, Oh, I don't want to do, it. but it's like, it's like the most important thing, really. If you, if you think about it, how much is in? How much is coming in? How much is going out? You know what I mean? Am I charging enough? How much time am I spending on projects? Like all these things really matter because i mean, reading a really good book called Work Less, Make More by James Ramco, And he really talks about, it's like, it's called your effective hourly rate, you know, and it's like really getting, figuring that out and increasing it should be like every business owner's goal. Where it's like, you know, if you start off and yeah, you're you're freelancing and you, you charge 50 quid an hour and you're only going to work 40 hours a week. Look, if that's all you want to do, then power to you. Exactly. Some people, some people are happy
0: with that. Absolutely. There's nothing wrong with that.
1: And I'm not taking anything away from that. But what what I'm saying is like, where he's talking about it in terms of running a business is is kind of different. You know what I mean? Like you need to get your effective hourly rate up as high as possible. You You want to be trying to get that up into the five, 600 for every hour you work and you're outsourcing all the rest of it in an effective manner that like, you know, you don't spend two hours in Canva working on a bloody image when you could have spent, you could have been doing sales calls or you could have been doing the revenue generating side of the business, but it's more fun to work in Canva and play with pictures. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so, so people people can default to the comfort, you know what I mean? Instead of going on LinkedIn and messaging people and being told, you know, way well, you feck off, not interested. And it's like, uh, yeah, you know, it's all those little pokes of like no, no, no. And and people are like, Oh, it was it was all nice and comfortable in Canva, I was making pretty things. Yeah,
0: exactly. You're like, you know, going back to to that, it's like you have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And when you get to the sales calls or messages or emails, whatever it is, get through the no's to get to the yes. That's how I see it. It's like, it's a numbers game, right? So, okay, so I'm going to make 20 or do direct outreach of 20 people, whether it's text messages, emails, calls, whatever. Nah, out of those 20, I may convert two. Or one, it doesn't matter. It's a numbers game. I know that if I get through the no's, let me get through those no's quickly enough so that I can get to the
1: yes. That's it. I mean, sales is a numbers game. Anyone who works in it will tell you that. And I guess that's probably another one of those lessons I didn't realize earlier on, you know, that like it, it is a numbers game, you know, and you might have to do... 10, 20, 30 calls and, and whatever, eventually you'll get there to the person who, who buys. But yeah, it's, it's really important, I think, to just, yeah, get comfortable. Like, it, it doesn't feel nice. Nobody's saying this feels great when people are like, no, I don't want to work with you. But like, you, you have to, it's kind of like a muscle, you know, you got to work and flex and just like, whatever, just rolls off. Now it's like, you don't want to work with me? No bother, man. Like, good luck. See you later, next. You know, and, and, that, and that's who it is. So look, um, this has been great. It's been very interesting to speak with you, Veronica. So where can people find you if they want to connect with you online?
0: So, I usually will just send everyone to my website, veronicasagastemi.com. I have a bunch of free resources there that will help you to whatever stage you're at. And all my social media channels are there as well. So, you can reach out. And I would love hearing from people and letting me know that they listened to our conversation and what they got away, what they got out of it. So, come say hello, veronicasagastemi.com, and I'll see you there.
1: Perfect. I'll make sure to link to it in the show notes and in the. Um, Spotify and everything else. People can just click out when they want. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of downloads. I actually noticed that on your homepage. It's really cool. You got a lot of really good resources there. All looking pretty. Look like they were made in Canva. <laughs> 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 Obviously not by you, but by somebody else.
0: I was just going to say, you know, I, I used to love Canva, but I've I now outsource that. I just kind of like say what the vision is and somebody else does them for me, but I love Canva. I do. Yeah, do it. yeah that's
1: it. I'm not, I, feel like I'm sla- I feel like I'm knocking on them now. Um, Veronica, thank you. And thanks to all the listeners for tuning in. Thank you, Adam. Thank you for listening to the Digital Nomad Cafe podcast. Head over to the website to access the resources and links mentioned in today's episode at digitalnomadcafe.com.